How's it going? Good, good. Well, as James said, my name is Mark. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch, and I am really glad because we are starting a new sermon series this week in the book of Philippians. Anyone like the book of Philippians? Any Philippians people out there? It is one of my favorite books. Just a couple things we're going to be doing throughout Philippians, which is going to go a good amount of the summer. Uh, number one is we are going to be memorizing a verse and probably reciting it every week just to get the word of God in us, all right? So that verse is Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. If we can get that up. Let's say this together. You guys ready? We can, me- this isn't that hard of memory verse. We can do this one, all right? Say it, three, two, one, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let's do it one more time. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We can do this one. This is a good one. Let's get it in us until it comes out of us. Okay, secondly, the theme of, of one of the themes of Philippians is joy. Anyone like some joy? All right, a few people that aren't convinced that joy is good. We like joy here, and I actually think Jesus likes joy. So one of the great secrets to joy, was talking about it uh, with Joel this last week, is being thankful. In fact, you see it in the book of Philippians, so we'll get there uh, in the coming weeks. Thankfulness is one of the secrets to find joy. And so here's what I'm about us to do. We're going to memorize our verse, rejoicing in the Lord. And I want to invite us over the next number of weeks to take a few minutes every day to choose thankfulness. Y'all think we can do that? Here's the secret. Thankfulness focuses you on the great things about your life and God instead of the things that you're angsty about. So It's a great little secret for you. As well, we got uh, just simple, we want to invite you to be reading Philippians with us. And so here's a simple tool. We actually have papers on that back table back there that kind of go through. Here's the memory verse. Here's what we're going to invite you to do. And here's uh, a simple Bible study tool. And so I invite you to be reading it with us. Okay. So one of the other things is we are about to have summertime. Anyone like summertime? I like summer. One of my favorite things I like about summer is the memories that are made during summer. I'd love to hear from a couple of you guys. What are some memories, when you think back on summer, what are some, some highlights for you? Shout it out. Ice cream? Sleep? Did you say ice cream? Did you say, okay. Ice cream, sleep, those are good. Anyone else? Camping. Barbecues. I like outdoors and food. It's a great combination. Yeah, cat. Hey, June 21st, the beginning of it is a great thing. That's right. That's right. So I know some of my memories, road trips with my family, we would drive all over. And everyone hated it except for my dad and I. So I don't know if that was good or bad. But it was great for me. I like driving. Uh, Baseball practices and Dairy Queen after. If you're from the Midwest, Dairy Queen is the thing. You go to Dairy Queen, okay? And another one for me, growing up in small town Minnesota, sitting at the gas station with my friends doing nothing. Because when you grow up in small town, you hang out at the Dairy Queen in the gas station. It's pretty awesome. So why are those simple memories so deeply ingrained in my mind and my heart? 
I think because they brought joy to my life. As simple as it were, that, that gas station, they're called Super America up there. Super America's one of the gas stations. I don't know why that brought joy, but it did. And so it's memorable to me. You see, we were made for joy. Any of you believe that? What joy does, it brings life to the heart. It allows us to lift up our head. You see, joy strengthens us to take on the day. It brings sweetness to our life and even healing to our soul and even to our bodies. You see, I believe it is God's will that we are filled with joy. Let me say that again. I believe it's God's will that we are filled with joy. Nehemiah 8.10, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. In the Psalms, we see an exhortation again and again to find joy in the Lord. We see pictures of the earth singing with joy in the Psalms. It tells us that there's joy in the presence of God. Galatians tells us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So that joy just exudes from the very nature of who Jesus is. And in Philippians, our book, we are commanded to rejoice again and again and again. Now, if you've lived more than a few years, you know that there is a battle for our joy. Anyone ever felt that before? Whether it is fear, difficult relationships, right? Life's responsibilities, finances, sickness, politics, anxiety, right? Not knowing what the future holds. These are real things, and these are real challenges that we face in our lives. So the question is this, how do we find real joy in the midst of life's real trials, Well, we want to answer that question as we go throughout Philippians. How do we find real joy in the midst of real trials? And there's an invitation today, as I'm telling this message, more joy, for more joy. And we're going to have that opportunity throughout the series, as joy is a theme of Philippians. You see, I believe God's portion for every believer is to have joy and more of it. And I'm talking a real joy that goes beyond our circumstances and even goes beyond the fleeting feeling of happiness. A real joy. As evangelist Billy Sunday said it like this, if you have no joy, there is a leak somewhere in your Christianity. And so we want to invite you in to more joy. Let me pray as I start the series. Father, thank you that joy, I believe, is an invitation that you have for us before us. And so, Father, we open our hearts and our minds. We say, God, fill us up with more of you. We ask for more of your joy because we're in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just before we dive into our verses, just a couple practicals about the book of Philippians. Philippians is called, it's, it's what's called an epistle or a letter And it's written by the Apostle Paul. It's four chapters broken down in a number of different vignettes, basically. And this is written to the church in Philippi. And so a lot of the epistles are named after churches, uh, the cities that the churches are in. So this one is written to the church in Philippi. Now, Philippi is a Roman colony in the area of Macedonia. It is a little Rome away from Rome. 
You like that? It's funny. Uh, it's very patriotic. Uh, it's, it's a leading city, as we see in Acts 16. It's a leading city in Macedonia. A main highway goes through there. And uh, there, there weren't that many Jewish people there. And so this is mainly people coming to faith who are not necessarily from a believing or Jewish background. And um, in this place, when they journeyed in Acts 16, this came from the Macedonian call, if you're familiar with that, they experienced persecution. And in fact, Paul and Silas were put into prison and they rejoiced in the Lord in the midst of being in prison. And because of that, uh, they saw great things. And so here you have the Philippian church experiencing persecution. And in the midst of that, you actually have this thriving church in the midst of persecution in, in Philippi. Now, uh, the purpose of this letter, Paul uh, had received a gift that was brought to a guy named Epaphroditus. So if you're looking for a kid's name, Epaphroditus, just write that one down. Maybe you're a few years out. Just log that one away. Uh, it was brought to Epaphroditus. So it was, they didn't have Venmo, so they had to bring it physically, and now they're writing a letter to go back physically uh, to Philippi and thank them. And Paul's addressing a couple things. One, he wants to thank them, but there were also trying to, there were people trying to discredit Paul and bring, there was some relational division as well. And so Paul is running to bring clarity and unity in the body and to simply build them up for Christian living in the midst of a challenging time. And because of that, he writes about joy. In fact, 14 different times we see the word joy or rejoice in the book of Philippians. Now, you would think that Paul writing about joy would be on a beach or a sabbatical or a mountaintop. But in fact, Paul was in prison. Paul was in house arrest in Rome as he's writing the book on joy. Okay, so let's start in verse 1 through verse 11 for today is where we're going to be. Here we go. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the oversteers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, sorry, for you all, making my prayer with joy. There you go. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation for the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. So Paul is rejoicing at the overflow of joy that's in his heart when he is there. And so what I want us to grasp today, that again, in Jesus, there is more joy for us to lay hold of in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. So we're going to look at just a few aspects of joy as we go today. And I want to start by looking at our source 
of joy. What is our source of joy? Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, you just, Jesus is always the answer. But I want to go a little deeper than that. What is our source of joy? And I want to go back to the first place we see joy in verse 3 through 5. It says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So we see joy for the first time. Now, what is joy? I would say joy is a little different than happiness. Happiness comes and goes, but joy uh, can remain despite circumstances. Now, a simple English definition of joy would be a, a feeling of happiness or delight, expressing delight that we are experiencing in our heart. But I want to take us again. I want to distinguish joy from happiness and take it a little bit deeper. So let's go to the Greek for a minute. The Greek word for joy is kara. Now, the word kara is the same root word for the word grace, which in Greek is charis. And so what's happening is, is we see that joy is connected to grace. Joy is connected to encountering grace. So I believe one of the secrets of Paul is saying that I've got joy because I've got grace. I've got joy because I've encountered grace when I didn't deserve it. You see, um, the joy of the Lord is like no other in the world. You see, um, circumstances come and go, but God's grace does not come and go. So what is God's grace? Mercy is not getting what we deserve but grace is getting what we don't deserve. And in Jesus, we get both mercy and we get grace. So what are the things that we get in Jesus that we don't deserve? Just a few of them, forgiveness. We don't deserve forgiveness. Did you earn forgiveness? No, no, no. We didn't earn forgiveness. We didn't become more churchy and then get forgiven. And God's like, you're a real churchy person now. Now you're forgiven. No, no, no. We don't deserve it. We get adoption into a family. We get the power and person of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We get a relationship with God that's not based on works, but based on unconditional love and grace. That is grace. We didn't deserve that. Grace is eternal life that comes not by earning it or working it or even going to church, but eternal life that comes through the gift of Jesus. Grace is getting a super, being screwed up people like all of us and still getting a supernatural calling to impact the world. Isn't that good news? I don't know if you're screwed up like I am, but uh, we get a great calling, even though we're in process. That is worth rejoicing about. And if anyone knew what grace was like, was Paul. Paul was maybe a little more screwed up than us. <laughs> Paul was uh, a religious zealot who was persecuting and even killing Christians. So here you have this guy who's a murderer. Now, if we had someone walk in our church who had a rap sheet with some murders on there, you'd better hope they've encountered grace. <laughs> you'd be a little nervous. And here you have Paul, who's not only a church member, a leader in the church. He's encountered Grace. You see, Paul knew, maybe more than anyone else, he didn't deserve anything good. 
and yet he got a whole lot of good. If we're to be honest, we're not necessarily better than Paul. We don't deserve goodness. And you see, joy comes when you get something that you know you didn't deserve. Now, the opposite of that is entitlement. I shared a few weeks ago about the Christmas that I had when I was younger, right? I expected some certain video games, and I got mostly clothes, and I threw a fit, and my poor mom cried, and I feel guilty to this day. Lord, forgive me. I don't feel guilty, <laughs> but I've worked that through with Jesus. He's gracious. <clears throat> that is entitlement. I had a whole lot of ideas what I deserved that Christmas, and it didn't go well for anyone because of that. But there's also been times, you can think about it, you weren't expecting a gift, and you got an amazing gift that comes your way. Think about that. Think about a time where you weren't expecting a gift, and a great gift came. I bet joy, that's, that's grace. You're not expecting or deserving a gift, and you got grace that you didn't deserve. I bet joy was the result of that, right? Am I right? I mean, y'all didn't go cry when you got a gift you didn't deserve that you wanted. You, you rejoiced. You said, thank you. Maybe you cried good tears. But, um, so we don't deserve the new life given to us on the cross. We didn't deserve Jesus going to the cross for us. We didn't deserve adoption into a family. We didn't deserve the Holy Spirit. We didn't deserve an incredible calling that we didn't earn. It was given to us. And you see, I think some of us in the midst of kids whining, in the midst of the stresses of bills coming in and uncertainty of the future and a political environment that on both sides can drive the best of us crazy, right? Or on the bits, uh, in the midst of uh, social media comparison, I think some of us have forgotten what we already got. Now listen, I'm not trying to minimize life's challenges and say, oh, it's not that bad out there, just... Get happy. Life's not that hard for you. Just get happy. That's not at all what I'm saying. You see, joy doesn't minimize the need to lament. Joy doesn't minimize the need to grieve. Joy doesn't minimize the challenges of life. It actually can accept them, as I'm going to talk about here shortly, and lift our eyes to the grace we've been given so that it gives us strength and joy to navigate it. You see, when we receive grace, we get joy. Grace received is joy indeed. Grace received is joy indeed. And if you're here and you're not certain about your relationship with Jesus, maybe you've been a churchgoer, but you don't know that you know that you are saved and going to heaven and that you're right with God, I want to say that today you can get right with God and you can receive eternal life and forgiveness, not that comes by working for it or being a good person, but by grace. Today you can receive grace and forgiveness and acceptance from God by just saying, Jesus, I need you. That can be yours today. Now, grace is worth celebrating, uh, and if we don't get grace, we don't get abundance of joy. Now, let's be honest. Life doesn't always lend towards circumstances that bring joy. Again, where is Paul writing this from? He's in prison. He's on house arrest, and he's full of bitterness. 
No, he's full of joy. I mean, maybe he had some bitterness he had to work through. I mean, we've all had some bitterness. I'd probably be bitter Bob, right? I'm on house arrest. Paul navigated that and somehow came out with joy. Paul's joy, you see, is not contingent on his circumstances. Paul is in prison and he's focusing his energy on loving Jesus and building into churches. For example, in Philippians, he said, man, my life to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is someone who found joy no matter the outcome. He's sitting there thinking about Jesus and how Jesus went to the cross for us and then how he can suffer like Jesus did. Chapter three, he said this. Here's a man filled with joy. He said, I count all things to a loss compared to the all-surpassing greatness that comes from Jesus Christ our Lord. Now listen, the prison door of the enemy has been opened extra wide these last few years for us to come in and find ourselves in a prison that we didn't want to be in. The prison doors of bitterness, the prison doors of division, the prison doors of minimizing our pain in the history of our lives or our country, the prison doors of financial problems, the prison doors of anxiety, there is real pain in this room. And the enemy would love to say, this defines your life and you will stay here for the rest of your life. Again, today in this series, we're not minimizing pain and challenges. But what the enemy would love to do in that is say, this is your portion, pain, challenge, and heartache, and there's no joy. Maybe for some of us, our circumstances feel like a prison. Maybe you feel trapped as a parent. Maybe you feel in a relationship that is painful. Maybe you uh, are in a job that you feel like is emotionally choking you. Now, if it's physically choking you, we can talk about that and we can find a new job. But uh, maybe you feel stuck somewhere in a prison. And the temptation is to wait until our prison doors open and our circumstances change before we praise. The temptation is to wait until our prison opens before we praise. And what happens when we let our circumstances, because that's what we often do. We want our circumstances to change so we can worship. But what happens if we allow our circumstances to, to, to determine our joy is that we ride the roller coaster of our circumstances. Y'all ever been on that coaster? I've been on that coaster, right? It's got some big dips, and you can actually fall off that one. Uh, right? So what happens if circumstances are good? You get a raise, you go on a date, you, feel, you don't feel lonely, your kids are doing what they should be doing, right? You're full of joy. Hey, I'm having a good day, praise the Lord, brother, you know, or whatever. We don't actually talk like, don't talk like that. Uh, uh, or if circumstances are bad, we're stressed, right? If we're stressed, where people aren't calling you to hang out, your phone alone, your kids are reminding you that original sin is a real thing because they're not, right? Then our joy goes away. 
And so our joy is on the coaster of our circumstances. And we end up sitting around waiting for joy to be something that happens to us. But that's not the picture we see in Philippians. You see, because God wants to give you a joy that cannot be stolen by people. God wants to give you a joy that cannot be stolen by politics. Amen? All right. Okay, great. God wants to give you a joy that cannot be stolen by circumstances. You see, joy isn't the absence of problems. It is the presence of God. Psalm 1611, you made known to me the path of life. And in your presence is the fullness of joy and your right hand pleasures forevermore. Listen, circumstances will come and go. Some days are going to be great, and I'm just telling you now, when Jesus said the same thing, life will be hard sometimes. I don't know where our world is headed. I don't know where things are headed. I don't know where your world is headed. But Jesus said this. He said, I've said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. He said this, in the world you will have tribulation. In the world you will have tribulation. Now if you're waiting for your life to be tribulationless, then you're going to be waiting a long time. In this world you have tribulation and take heart for I have overcome the world. So let me say it like this. God's presence is greater than feelings in a moment. Okay, that doesn't minimize feelings. We don't, faith doesn't mean we throw out emotions. Actually, Scripture elevates our emotions. We want to be emotionally healthy people. Faith doesn't mean just slap a praise the Lord on it and throw it away. It means we're honest about our emotions and we find God in the midst of it, but we also acknowledge that emotions are not God. And so God's invitation is not to wait for the prison to open to praise him, but rather to praise him in the prison. And listen, that's not guaranteeing your prison doors will open. Praising, we don't praise God because after a hymn, our doors open and our life changes. We praise God because he's worthy. And whether your prison doors open or not, the power of the shackles of prison can be broken, whether you're in there or not. Your perspective on your job, your perspective on your relationships, your perspective on the world and the uncertainty around you can praise even if the world doesn't change around you and can change. With that friend uh, of ours that has struggled with many years with Lyme's disease and a number of other diagnosable things, and it was affecting her to the point that she couldn't function. Pain, vertigo, inability to live basic functions. I don't know if you ever had vertigo. It is miserable. And so for a long time, they were praying, believing God for healing, and uh, they struggled year after year after year after year. And they said what happened was when they stopped focusing on their prison or their sickness and trying to just get healed from it, it actually cleared their head and focused her on joy and on Jesus. And what she said is that as she focused not on just getting healed, but just on Jesus, whether she got healed or not, what happened was faith and joy began to flood her heart, but actually she began getting healed. 
because she was giving up control of the situation and God began to move in her body. And so in the midst of your prison, because I know that all of us have probably some place in our life we struggle, and for some of us, we really feel like we're trapped in a prison. And so my question for you is, where are you focused? In your prison, in your circumstance that you want to see changed, where are you focused? Is it your prison or is it his presence? Is it on the problem or is it on praise? Now, there's another reason we can have joy, because joy is promised to come in our future. Joy is promised to come in our future. Philippians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6, let's go back. It says, Paul said, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work, and you will see it through the, excuse me, the completion of the day, of Jesus Christ. Paul finds joy in his past and his present and even joy in his future. You see, Paul looked to the future in verse six. He says, I am confident that what began in each of you will be completed at the day of Christ Jesus. Paul had joy because he had hope in the future. He had hope, not because he wasn't in prison, but because he looked to the future and he knew there were some things that were certain. My question for you is, what do you feel when you look to the future? What do you feel when you look to the future and you think about your friends or your family or your life? Are you bursting with hope or are you hopeless and fearful about finances or the unknown around your kids or politics, or whatever is going on. The reality is, we've all had pain and disappointment in our lives. And probably especially these last few years, we've had pain and disappointment somewhere along the way. We often see it in our lives. And what happens is that pain and disappointment clouds our vision of the future unprocessed disappointment and unprocessed pain. Again, disappointment and pain are not the enemy. They're an indicator light that God wants to meet with us in the area of our life. So it's not like if you're experiencing pain or disappointment as a Christian, you're failing and don't have faith. That's bad theology. And that's actually really destructive. Pain and disappointment are a normal part of life, and it means that God is saying, deet, 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 I want to meet with you. But unprocessed pain and disappointment give us uh, catastrophic glasses to see the future with. That we cannot see good or the hope of good when we see the future because the hope is the expectation of good. And guys, we are living in a world where many feel hopeless and the world is looking for hope-filled people. I really believe that whoever has hope in today's age will rise to places of leadership in our world. This world needs hopeful leaders and hopeful people, and I believe some might be you. And there is a reason, and there's an invitation, I believe, this season 
for us to be hope-filled people when we step out into the world. Again, so we have a promise in this passage that one day when we see Jesus, our joy will be complete. Because all will be made right. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. Our joy will be complete when we see Jesus. And all along the way, God is going to be giving us opportunities of joy until we get there. Romans 8.28, God is working all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You see, God has the ability to take the pain and heartache in our lives and not waste it. He'll use it all like fertilizer for our future. And so that we can even look at the pain and heartache in our lives and have hope that, wow, God, if you're entrusting me with this level of pain and challenge in my life, you must be working something bigger. Again, that doesn't minimize the pain. We need to walk through the pain. We can't go around it. But that God, if he's given us a story with pain, he's working a redemptive future ahead. I know for me and for many of my friends and pastors, for all of us, this has been a challenging few years. And especially for many of us who are pastors, there's in times I've felt disoriented. There's in times I've been in deep pain, times I wanted to throw in the towel. I'm not. Don't worry. Uh, <clears throat> There's times I've, I've spent hundreds of hours laying down my life with, with someone and they walk away and won't speak with me. There's times uh, I've seen pe people get sucked into political ditches on both sides that have destroyed them. I've seen people go MIA and ghosted. I've wondered, God, what in the world are you doing? I've wondered what kind of world my kids are growing up in. I've wondered what the future uh, is around us. And there's times I've wanted to run from the pain <clears throat> and just say, it would be great just to move, get some land, and never see people again. But I can say that God has used the things that the enemy meant to break me to make me a deeper person, to make me a more compassionate person, to make me a better leader. Because I've had a history in my life of running from pain and doing things to outrun my pain and run faster than it. And God has taught me these last years to accept the pain, to sit in it and find him in it. And it's transformed me. And it's transformed my wife. And I'm seeing it transform many of you. You see, so now when I look to the future, instead of having to outrun any potential problems and control my world, I can say, I'll have tribulation. Yep. It's going to be hard. And I don't have to run from the pain that's coming my way. I can walk into it and through it. And I can not look at it with fear, but with joy. Because the promise of God in my future pain and your future pain is that he is going to work all things together for your good. And when you accept that and you understand that, you don't have to be afraid of failure. You can take risks with God and dream again even though you've been disappointed and even though you've been discouraged, even though you've been left and rejected and hurt, you can dream again with God. And I believe God is looking for people to dream with again. 
Amen? Okay, I just I want to make sure we have some people ready to dream with God here. Let's go. So turn to someone next to you and say, he's not done with me yet. There's more joy ahead. Rumble, mumble, mumble, mumble. I don't think some of y'all are convinced about that yet. I'm not trying to hype it up, I promise you. I'm trying to help us renew our mind here, because it's true. Now, we can have joy, this is my last point here, because more joy is in the future, but also more joy is possible now. Here's what Paul prayed in verse 9. He said, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. My prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Paul isn't talking about just a head thing. He's not just saying, I pray that your theology about joy will get more and more robust. Although that's part of it. That's good. You know, let's let's have that. Let's have more robust theology on joy. But he's praying, I want you to experience more and more joy. Just I'm just picturing Paul with buckets. Take some joy. Take some more joy. I'm praying some more joy upon you. I'm praying some more discernment. I'm praying some more experiences of God's love. I'm praying some more of the goodness of God. I'm praying some for some more of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? I love as Dan Bauman said, more, Lord. More, Lord. God wants to give us more of him and more of joy, And I believe Paul's desire is not that to be something that gets stuck in our head. We say, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say always rejoice in the Lord. I'm Eeyore Christian, right? I believe Paul's desire is that as the psalmist said, that we taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you believe that God wants you to taste and see joy? I want that. God wants you to taste and see joy. And how do I know that? Because he prayed for knowledge and depth of insight. Let me explain that for a second. That word knowledge in the Greek, epinosis, and that, that literally means knowledge through personal experience. We see knowledge in the West as a classroom head knowledge, but their understanding in the Hebrew and Greek setting is this is holistic. When you know someone, You meet them mentally, you meet them physically, you shake their hand, you get to know them. It's holistic. So Paul is praying, I pray that you would know more of God and joy through experiencing it. And then he's also praying for discernment. That Greek word means perception by the senses, hearing, seeing, feeling. Paul is saying, I hope that you experience and that you see and feel and experience the love of God and the person of God and the joy of the Lord. You see, experiencing God leads to understanding God, not just knowing about it in our head, which is also important, right? And so we often treat God, I don't know if you have, I forgot to put in the slides if you have the uh, oyster crackers. We often treat God like going to our favorite restaurant and then filling up on oyster crackers. You know what I'm talking about? Those soup crackers, those little hexagon ones or whatever. 
And we're like, I'll just go through the, and we go through the church motions. And we look back, like I had a great experience when I was younger, many years ago with God. And then until then, it's just plateaued. You know, we had a great mountaintop and the rest of the Christian life is just in the valley. No, 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 no. God wants to give you more than oyster crackers. We don't want to get filled up on oyster crackers with Jesus. We want the whole enchilada. We want the main course. We want more of God and two desserts. Don't do that in real life, but God wants to give us more joy in the midst of our pain. Now, when I was dating my now wonderful wife, Crystal, uh, she actually missed it for, for a year and a half. She broke up with me uh, when we were dating. It was a two-rounder to, to, to marry. And so she broke up with me, and uh, she, it was actually very honoring. It was filled with Jesus. But uh, you can break up well, by the way. We can coach you through that. If you need to break up, you can do it well. My wife did it, and we honored each other. Uh, and we even prayed and blessed each other off. But uh, so I remember being broken because right before she breaks up with me, I just told my buddy, I think I'm going to marry her. And then the next week, I'm praying about the relationship because I'm not feeling anything on my end. And I'm like, girl, I'm feeling it on my end. I don't know what's wrong with you. But uh, I remember being down in the pits. And now God has many ways to heal our hearts, whether it's therapy or whether it's lamenting or whatever. But I remember just sitting in the presence of God and someone texted me and they texted me a scripture about uh, joy and God healing me through joy. And right in that moment, the presence of God filled the room. And tears welled up my eyes, and I just was filled with the joy of the Lord. I don't know how to say it other than, I never got fully over her. But <laughs> I was over her in that sense of it, uh, that God filled my heart with joy and supernaturally, like a buoy, kind of brought me back up to the surface where I could see again, I could hear him again, I could walk forward again. And I believe God wants to fill us with joy and I even believe, as it says at the end of verse 11, to the glory and the praise of God, that your joy brings glory to God. We often think if I get more joy, that's selfish. No, no, no. Your joy brings glory to God. God, as John Piper said, most glorified in you when you're most satisfied in him. Our joy brings glory to God. Now, I want to end just with the story of someone who was a joy carrier, a guy named George Mueller. George uh, was a, a uh, leader and evangelist in, 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 uh, in Germany, and he cared for orphans, and he cared for, it was estimated, over 10,000 orphans in his life. Can you imagine? I mean, even just knowing 10,000 people uh, gives me a headache. How about caring for 10,000 orphans, right? Uh, all the orphans in the world. So uh, he's, he's got... 10,000 orphans, um, and he, the hallmark of his life, he trusted God for provision. He lived by faith, often not knowing when food would come or how it would come, but he trusted that if God, if people had needs and God really cares for orphans and the downtrodden, that God would provide. And so by faith, he saw over millions of dollars raised uh, he had plenty of reasons to be anxious, and he saw thousands of, he actually has journals of thousands of specific prayers that were prayed that were answered. And it's known that his secret was joy. 
He had plenty of reasons to be anxious. He had plenty of circumstances around him that didn't compute or make sense on paper. And yet joy sustained him through. A couple quotes by George Miller said, the first great and primary business which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Amen. Now listen, you could have said, you need to be responsible, George. You've got orphans. They come from broken families. They come from, and of course, I'm sure he had compassion. I'm sure he shed many tears. I'm sure he cried and held them. But in order to address the injustice of the world, we have to have joy in our hearts. We ought to be angry at injustice. We ought to have compassion. We ought to not check out and just say, people just need to try harder and do better, and then the world will be better. No, no, we ought to be engaged in the injustice of the world, but we need joy with Jesus in our hearts to engage it. Now, amen. Another quote, I love this. But according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see that your souls are happy in the Lord. I love that. His secret was joy. In the midst of life's challenges, which we will have some, in the midst of a broken world, which we ought not to run from and put a Christian banner or whatever, Republican banner on or whatever. No, we ought to be out engaging the poor. But we need joy. Our first thing is to attend to our own souls. He, another quote of him, he said, I would read the Bible until my soul got happy. That's a great time of Jesus' secret right there. Whatever it takes. I'm just going to sit here and read the Bible until my soul gets happy. His legacy, although he had many challenges, was not one of succumbings to life's difficulties, but of miracles, provision, Caring for others and the joy of the Lord was his secret to get him through. So my question for you as we take a time of reflection, in what area of your life do you need joy? In what area of your life do you need joy? We can have our band or Jacob come up, play something really spiritual. And so is there an aspect of joy? Maybe it was an aspect that was addressed in the message today, or maybe it was an aspect that you just, God is revealing to you. Is there an aspect of joy that would speak to the situation that you're in? And how can Jesus meet you in that area? How can you come to Jesus, whether it's bringing our pain, whether it's bringing our fears, how can we come to Jesus in that area? I want to just take a minute and just reflect before the Lord. So um, let me pray for us, and then we're going to have a song or two of response. Father, thank you. Because I do know that all across this room, there's pain. <clears throat> I don't know why this could come to my mind that maybe someone in this room has had a miscarriage at some point or recently or maybe it was a long time ago and it's something you're just still carrying in your heart. Since it's some of us that may be having job anxiety in this room.
that maybe some of us are, are struggling with self-hatred. We look down at ourselves and all we can see is failure. All we can see is falling behind. All we can see is self-hatred. I believe God wants to pour us some joy. <laughs>